You've got courage to lead. Courage to lead. Be brave and be bold. Welcome to the Courage to Leap and Lead podcast, where each of our guests share the stories of courage that helped them become powerful leaders. Before we start today's show, please remember to visit courage-consulting.com, where you can find all the episodes and other excellent resources, all at courage-consulting.com. Now, here's your host, Leadership Courage Coach, C.B. Bowman. Hello, everybody. How are you today? You know, I miss you. And this is my second recording today. I just did an interview with Sally Higgerson, who is the author of Women Rise and Rising Together. And she is a powerhouse. So if you missed it, it's on your favorite podcast. This is CB. How are you today? Well, we have another, of course, I always bring in amazing people. I don't know how I do it. (laughs) Well, today we have Dr. Bob. That's what he's known as, Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob has some really fun stories to tell us about how he turned failure into success. And let me tell you, this guy is successful. I had a time and a half to try to get him on my show. I I mean, really? thought I was trying to book Donald Trump. Uh, it was really amazing. But he should be available now. <laughs> Dr. Bob has a heart of gold and he stepped in and he said, of course, CB. And you know, that's my favorite kind of people who just want to hang out with us normal people. So Dr. Bob, welcome. Welcome. Feelings mutual. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be with you and good to be on your program. Thank you. Hey, Dr. Bob, um, you are known for helping organizations increase productivity through their employees in a way that really works for the employee and the organization. I know that you did some work for WD40, who we both yes. know. Um, and you made huge difference. Now, I want to know about that, and I want to know about you personally. How did you get to be so smart? How did you get to be an expert in these things? And how did you get to be in demand? I want to know it all. So (laughs) let's start from the beginning. Tell us about you as a kid. Okay, well, it goes back a a bit. Loving, loving parents, uh, moved around a lot. My father was in the military. We moved every three or four years, which really felt like a blessing because it, it got me, uh, you know, to be, I'm an introverted heart. It got me out of my shell. So we, we'd moved to a new, a new, a new neighborhood in a new state. And uh, first thing I do, I go knock on doors in the neighborhood. Do you have any kids my age? It could be a long summer if I don't have someone to play with, you know? And, and so I, I got over being shy and um, got uh, made things happen. So that's that's uh, kind of served me my whole life to not be afraid to uh, take a risk. 
Well, that's not an introverted move at all, Dr. Bob. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, speaking, I make my living speaking and speaking, you wouldn't think of introvert as, people can't believe I'm an introvert, but I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm, uh, writing is a lot of internal thought work and I'm, I'm very reflective and, and that's the exact opposite of being out there in, in front of a group. And <laughs> But, well, um, but to learn skill and you can learn any skill that can help you be, you know, I I, uh, I I remember I debated on the debate team in high school, and the first debate I did, I, I threw up afterwards. You know, I was so nervous. But but you you know you stick with anything, you get better at it. And um, that's well, well, I mean, Dr. Bob, we've got a lot in common, as you can see. I'm a military brat. Is that, uh, is that army? That's army. Yeah. For okay. Sure. Air Force yeah. for. For yeah. us, but uh, yeah, thank you for your service. Uh, yeah, it was my parents. My dad was a lieutenant colonel, and uh, so so was mine. Wow, wow. <laughs> he's laid to rest at All International uh, mm. with my mom. Uh, we didn't travel around, but um, after I grew up, I traveled a lot to make up for it. And, so, if you uh, work at the Pentagon, hmm. Did he work at the Pentagon? No, no. He okay. was of the career uh, ever. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. And um, I am also an introvert, very high on the score of being introverted. And so, and I have my first book coming out. Uh, oh, congratulations. Thank you, May, June. And yeah, it's a heavy lift, a heavy lift. But, a lot of work, uh, isn't it? <laughs> what? It's a lot of work. It's incredible, incredible. I mean, people just, and I've tried to write books before. Fortunately, I was introduced to a publisher that made it happen for me. And because um, he had a specific methodology that you use. And even with that, I mean, it was much easier than I thought, than previous attempts, but it, it takes concentration. It really does, yeah. So. Writing, rewriting, a um, lot of lot of choices along the way. So the rewriting was the killer for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes a good book, though. That's what is uh, the tighter you can edit it. The same is true with a movie. You can tell a movie that wasn't edited very well. It kind of didn't quite hang and flow. And but a, a well-edited movie could be a whole notch, a better movie as a result. You know. <clears throat> Well, I made my first mistake by sending it into the publisher for the first edit without reading it. <laughs> I was so done with it, right? <laughs> and it would have been a disaster. When I got it back and I read it, I said, well, they didn't edit this very well. And I realized, no, you didn't write it very well. <laughs> well, that's that actually development editors have Pretty much gone to the wayside like a lot of publishers just take what you give them and print it and where do you want us to send the books you know yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah uh, yeah so when i got back and i saw that i said all right if you're serious sit and rewrite the book and that's what i did all right good so now dr bob so you grew up in the in the military um eyes and traveled around and made friends, and then what? Oh, uh, well, on uh, my upgrading, when I was also in uh, senior in high school, I remember um, um, taking English class and 
English English teacher was passing out papers and she stopped at my desk and waved it above and said, best paper I had in four classes. I go, oh, you know, <laughs> kind of surprised and went back and reread the paper. What what she see here? And but I, I got a message that I, I had a, a gift for, for writing. And that that kind of moved me in a in that direction to uh, do that uh, more um, to pursue that. And I've I did publish self-published my first book when I was 21 and I've now done uh, 31 books um, wow. and uh, 32nd is one I'm doing uh, about um, lessons from Steve Jobs that's kind of fun exciting and and uh, then that I've done about probably a thousand articles and and uh, columns and things like that so writing you know has uh, been a been a good friend of mine and <laughs> well okay let's start here um did you just from your first book you just jumped into fate, fame and fortune writing no i worked my butt off what are you talking about there's no you know, who's the i saw a band uh uh who is it uh i'm, I'm blanking on the name but uh i remember in front of the crowd he goes oh, i want to thank everyone for supporting us over the past 20 years before we became an overnight success <laughs> and that's kind of how I, I feel like I so the first book I self-published and then I I did all the marketing I you know, went around to bookstores and I uh, learned a lot learned a, a whole lot and uh, experimented a lot with different types of marketing and um, then then have done books with different publishers and it wasn't the it was my 12th book that really took off so my my 11th book was uh, a professional book done by uh, Scott Forsman in Chicago, great little publisher, business publisher, and, and total sales was 3,500 copies. And I said, well, hmm, this is this is a good book. This is, is helpful. I think it's still relevant now. You can develop people by how you delegate. And, and uh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it didn't really kind of ring a bell and, and hit a nerve, as they say. And, and so I said, well, what's wrong with this picture? And I decided, well, what part of the problem was is you go to a business publisher, they from the get-go feel they're not going to sell many copies. So they let's not let's put a boring cover on it, you know, because no one's going to buy it anyway. And that's not wasting any time trying to tell anyone about it because they're not going to buy it. And and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and no one bought it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so so the on my 12th book, which I had an idea for uh at a graduate school class where we're talking about uh, reward systems, control systems class, and and uh, positive reinforcement, informal reward systems. And I remember my, my professor saying, I credit him in the book, he, he said, you know, with as proven as these concepts are, there really hasn't been much application in business. And I said, no, I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I got home an uh, hour and a half away. I got home late at night and I typed out a letter before the internet. Uh, to a publisher in uh, New York City that uh, I felt was a strong marketing publisher, Workman Publishing, uh, not a business publisher, a, a mark. They were they did uh, trade books and they're very, very uh, high quality. You can pitch, you can pick a Workman book off the shelf from twenty feet. You know, mm -hmm. great design, and um, and I I uh, sent this letter off to president of this publisher and spent two weeks trying to get him on the phone um and 
finally I heard his assistant say, would you talk to this guy? He keeps calling. And, <laughs> and I hear it all of a sudden, what do you want? <laughs> it's Peter Workman, the president. I go, Mr. Workman, my, my name is Bob Nelson. I sent you a, a letter about a book and he cut me off. He goes, you sent us a letter? We're not going to respond to a letter. We, <laughs> if there's a book you want to do, uh, you've got to send us a proposal. In the, in the proposal, you got to say why uh, this has got to be one of the books that comes out this year. That year, there were 70,000 books printed, uh, published that year. And uh, why this, your, your book has got to be one of those and why we're the only publisher that could possibly get it right. And as he's, he's hanging up, he goes, by the way, we get 10,000 proposals a year. We publish 24 books, click. And so oh I, I guess I could have been discouraged by that. I definitely. And, and <laughs> I wasn't. I, I said, game on, time to do a proposal. <laughs> and I, I went and did a proposal and I got an agent. And, and uh, next time I talked to Peter Workman, I was sitting across from him in his office in New York City. <laughs> and um, my agent, uh, you know, because you just... There's a you know process for for a proposal, and I've, I've got a great one page, you know, one page description if anyone wants it. Um, yes. But 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 uh, uh, my agent said, well, you know, it'd be really good if you laid out a few pages. I go, oh, what's well, I really made it clear what the book's about? I go, well, just help us visualize it. So I laid out a few pages, and then she said, well, this is great. Can you do a few more? I go, come on, how much? You know, it's obvious. Just it's said, Bob, just imagine. Think of it this way: more laid-out pages, better advance I can get. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so laid out some more pages, and 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 sure enough, uh, here I'm from Peter Workman, and he opens it to those pages, the layout of the book, and he says, "This could work." This is guy's a very visual guy. Every book he's done, he personally has seen and feels, and so this could work. Now he doesn't. Now that he knows the project, he believes he's the project is good. He doesn't know anything about me. So tell me about yourself, uh, Bob. And I, I didn't have my PhD yet. And I was an administrator for um, a training company, Ken Blanchard Companies in Escondido, California. And, and, I, and I said, but that's not what I really want to do. And he goes, oh, what do you really want to do? And I said, be a best-selling author. And I could just see a little twinkle in his eye and done deal. And and they um, that that was in 1994. The book is now in its 64th printing. Has sold two million copies. Oh. So, so 3,500 copies. My 11th book, two million copies. My 12th book, with just a couple changes in in perception. And and one was uh, going with the book the uh, company that knows how to market books. And and even with that, I got to tell you that. Because uh, I got, you know, the dealing with the marketing director, and I, at one point, as the book was coming, out, I said, "Can you send me a proposal on what you could do marketing?" And she kind of laughed and said, "Well, we don't really do, you know, marketing plans per each book." But I said, "Well, I've got a few ideas. You mind if I send them to you?" Oh, that'll be cute. Go ahead. <laughs> and so I sent her a sixty-page document, single-spaced, with a one-line cover sheet that said, "This is what I'm going to do to promote this book." What are you going to do to meet me halfway? And they, you I, have I heard got stuck to Bob. I, I, a couple a couple years later, I remember talking to him, and they, they said they all looked at each other. They said, "What have we unleashed?" <laughs> and and they they sent me to twenty seven cities at a time when when publishers didn't really do that anymore. It's very rare to do because that costs money, you know, and not just you know the travel and stuff, but you got to hire a, 
the PR person to set that all up. And then in each market you go to, you got to have a media escort to knows where they're going to get you there on time. And so it's a you know a time and expense thing. And they sent me to 27 uh, cities. And when I was done, I I wanted to keep doing it. <laughs> and, and I, I was you know I was getting getting booked to speak. So each place I was booked, I would line up media while I was in that market, that type of thing. And um, you know, and and I I remember that kind of rubbed them because they have other books, other authors, you know. And and my agent called Peter Workman said. Uh, you know, uh, he said, Bob, Bob wants us to keep doing this. We got all these other books coming out and, and, and other, other authors and, you know, they deserve their turn too. And, and she said, well, do you have any other authors that are willing to do what he's saying to keep, <laughs> keep hitting it? And mm -hmm. he goes, no, well, why wouldn't you do it then? <laughs> you know? wow, wow. And so I said, oh, okay, well, we'll keep doing it. And, and I, I struck a deal with him to, uh, that I, I would pay for, uh, what was it? I'd split hard costs with him, and I'd, I'd cover labor costs that I was spending. So it was, it was. Uh, so we kind of did it together, and, and that, you know, the book kept selling, you know. So uh, as a result, and, and was on uh, Business Week's bestseller list for 239 weeks, something like that, and six years. Um, but um, well, have you written a book on how to market? Your book? <laughs> no, no, but I talk to people about it a lot. <laughs> um, okay. Can and I actually, I got in, in with with due uh, with uh, all due respect. Uh, this was uh, you know before the internet is before social media, so it was um, I did thousands of interviews and crisscrossed the country and 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 so and and just every you know I'm trying to look for how to how to make the connection. So. Um, every time I'd come back from a, a city, say St. Louis, for example, I, I hired someone um, in their home to, uh, I, I did a postcard of the book and I'd say, uh, here's, here's uh, the book. It's currently in its, you know, seventh printing has sold this many copies and, and here's what I'm doing nationally to promote the book. And then here's what I just did in your market, St. Louis, and I'd list five or six things. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'd have her send a postcard to every bookstore in town after I left. And so I did that for a couple of years, you know, so, and so if they, if they hadn't ordered the book, they would, when they get, got that, you know, well, stuff's happening in our market, people are going to know about it. We need to have it. Maybe we'll put it on display, that type of thing. And, and so that was one thing to help um, move books. Um, and uh, I remember once I was in uh, New York City, staying in a CD hotel across from Madison Square Garden, and and I, I can't remember what I was doing there, but uh, I I uh, decided, you know, I'm gonna just take take an extra day here in New York City, and I in the <laughs> in the hotel there, you know, they used to have phone books in the hotel rooms because mm -hmm. yeah, yellow pages, up, yeah, yellow pages. I looked up the bookstores. And and I took the section, I ripped it out, and I and I went out uh, to a cab, and I got in. And I said, uh, I want you to take me as many of these bookstores as you can today, and um, and that's what we did. And so I, I go, we went to like twenty seven 
So while I was in, in, in signing books or talking to the bookstore manager, he would figure out where the next closest bookstore was. And we'd, and then I got to catch my flight at, at 6 p.m. At, at Kennedy, you know. And, and, wait, what, uh, wait what, what did you do at each of the bookstores that you went into? Well, I introduced myself. I said, I'm the author of this book. And if you have some copies, I'd love to sign them for you. And if they did, I would, and they'd be appreciative. And I actually liked it more when they didn't. You know, because a lot of times I said, well, that would be, you know, embarrassing. Well, oh, it's too bad you don't have them because I was signing them for you, you know, and they would often take half the order form and order them in front of me, you know, with oversight, sorry. And and so you made, that was a bigger sell because now they're going to, you know, if they buy 20 books or 30 or three, you know, they're going to have, have the book now. And um, so that was, um, you know, uh, that, that it was about a, exactly a year later. I returned to Madison Square Garden, but this time I was speaking about my book. <laughs> and, at any rate, but uh, like, so everywhere I, the first year, I probably went to 400 plus bookstores. And and so, for example, they're out of business now, but Walden Books uh, used to be a chain. And I remember, I, and I'd take notes on each each one. I'd, I'd go into the Walden Books and, and it was strange because uh, they'd say, you know, where our computer says we have, we have uh, three copies. Let's go see if we can find them. They <laughs> go, okay. And they go and they wouldn't be on the shelf and they disappear in the back for 20 minutes. They came, I found them. I found one, you know, it's like, great. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't know much about how you guys do business, but it seems like you're centrally, you order books centrally from home office. That's right. Well, you're, it seems like if, if you're, you, your computer says you got three and None are on the shelf. No one's going to buy any of them, and you're never going to reorder. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> it, it took a genius to tell them that. <laughs> so I, I took all that desk. Now, 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 now I've gone to you know 87 Walden books across the country, and here's what I found. And and that was a story at most every one of them. And so a couple of things. One, they put out a word to other Walden books to watch out for this guy because. If you have, if you haven't got the book, get some. And and so it went it went from like thirty three copies and in, in thirty or forty bookstores, uh, it got bumped to you know uh, one hundred and twenty bookstores for four or five copies. And and that's how you got inroads in the in the bookstores. Now, now they're they're not going to do that if the books don't move in the bookstores. So you got you got to be doing promotions. So one is you got to get them into the bookstore, but then you got to get them out of the bookstore, and that's that's how you get the movement on. So how did you get them out by signing them? You you name you name it. <laughs> doing media, doing stuff like this, or I remember in in, in Minneapolis, the Minneapolis Tribune had had done an, a feature about the book. Um, it's a thousand one ways to reward employees, and 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 a nice feature with a, a picture. And I went uh, <laughs> Barnes and Noble there. And there's there's 40 copies. Like, Do you have this book? Yeah, look here. <laughs> they, got, they, they had like 40 or 50 people that called to order it. And they had books on reserve for them. I go, oh, okay, well, let me sign those for them, <laughs> which I did. But wow. uh, that's um, moving the books or, or do a book talk, you know, the talk in. I, I, I found I found uh, the talks in the bookstores didn't, do, I, mean, I probably wasn't famous enough, you know, if I was, if I was a politician or something, it'd be people around the block probably. But, but so I, I found that by itself wasn't uh, very effective. But what was was the relationship with the bookstore to say, um, what can I do in your community? And then I had, you know, the book the bookstore man. I get different bookstore managers, and like I, I remember uh, 
Brian Baxter at uh, Tattered Cover Books in Denver, a delightful bookstore, yes. multiple ones. And, and he said, Bob, let me, uh, let me make some calls. I, I think <laughs> I'd, I'd like to have you here and I'll, I'll take you around to any day. Take me to the five or six different talks in one day and and just you know 200 people here 300 people there and and it was companies that he called and said you need this guy you know and and they'd have a meeting or they were having a meeting then and and uh, they bought all the books from brian but and i was there to to as a draw at the end of the day he goes bob i heard i learned something from each time i heard you speak and it was one thing he said the second thing is that i can bring you back every three months and we could do this again <laughs> So, so I want to understand this. So you went to him and you said, what can I do to help you in your community? I went to him and I said, well, my book was moving with for him. And, and I, I did do a, a signing. I did do an event in their bookstore. And so we had like, you know, 30 people for that. And, and I, I set up with a local, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lunch and learn. So we got box lunches, you know, for the, for the local, you know, local restaurant. And um, and so they 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 liked that, and the book was doing well for them. So they Brian was was very big on saying every books books address a need. If you find the people that have the need, then you've got the book that can help them. Then connect them with the author. And so he he just believed that uh, you know on you know, 85% of employees today and then as well feel overworked and underappreciated. So <laughs> recognizing them is very important. And and although it's a very proven concept, most companies, most managers don't make that good a use of it. You know, they're too busy, they're whatever. And and so he he believed in the concept and he heard me speak, he believed in, in my message and he knew his community. And, so, and I mean, they, they could look at just who the corporate buyers were. So you'd start with there and say, hey, I've got, I got a, a great author that, that I think would be perfect for next event you have or, or next or, or even pulling your people together because he's going to be in town. So mm -hmm. um, now there, you know, there's a lot of bookstores that wouldn't do that. And like a lot of bookstores will have a, someone set up to get authors in the store and they don't care what authors is want bodies and you know and I, I mean that's the flip side of it so I could I could tell you the the fun glory side but to each each thing there's a flip side I remember flying once at my own expense to Cleveland Ohio and driving out to the suburbs to a, a you know a, a bookstore to speak at Barnes and Noble or something and and sleeping in my car until you know 7 p.m when I was, was my session was and I go in the store and no one's there <laughs> And the entire the entire trip that I spent uh, in in Cleveland, the only person I talked to was one little old lady came up to me in the bookstore and said, "Oh, I feel so bad for you. There's no one here, and you're stacks of books all around me." So you gotta take that in stride, you know. Well, that one didn't work very well. And why why was that? Well, because the person just wanted to build my name in on their sheet until they're done. You know, we got they didn't do anything to promote it. They didn't. Put in their own calendar. They didn't tell local businesses, so you know um, that you got it's it's the devil's in the details. So, but that that really wasn't an event if it wasn't promoted. You know, it's just the guy showing up in the bookstore. And you <laughs> so, have a great story to tell about it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't told that one in a while. But so there, <laughs> but it, but I guess there's a you know courage to lead. It's sort of 
it's uh, you keep going. You know, you don't. I, I never would be stopped by one thing, anything, one person or one publisher or one failed book or one. What What yeah. gives you the the, the <laughs> strength and the motivation not to be stopped, Bob? <clears throat> well, you got you got to have fun with it. You got to feel that you're making a difference. And I want to make a difference. And I want to, I'm, I have a value to, I really like helping people. And I, I want to help people. I, I had, in fact, you know, I got, it doesn't keep you much to keep going. You know, basically I got an email a few weeks ago from some lady in Indiana. And she said, when I read your books, Dr. Bob, it, it makes me feel like you're a personal friend. Uh, giving me permission to do the right thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes, I, yes. I want, I want that my tombstone, you know? <laughs> oh, so, my. oh, my gosh. That's so like, you, um, I, received, I received a note on Facebook from a woman who, I, I don't remember, wrote me a note and said, um, she wrote it to Facebook. She said, I remember CB coming in for a job interview. Uh, and this was with AIG. And we've, we're talking at least 15 years ago, right? And she said, and she was so kind. She wrote me a thank you note. And she wrote one to, to my boss. And she did not know at that time I was going through hell. And that thank you note, I still have. And I wrote, oh my gosh. There oh you my go. Gosh. There you go. You just never know what you do and how it's going to affect somebody. It's true. And so you you got to keep trying. And I, I've I've talked to a lot of people that were shut down by by you know one thing. They had a draft of a book and they forgot it in a hotel room and now oh, it's gone. It's like, well, is that is that it? You know, <laughs> you could get to rewriting it real quick because it's probably you can still capture what you had, you know, or um it's uh, but people play life by different rules, and I, I I think part of what what gives me the the power to do it is is um, I have fun with it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy talking to you now. I enjoy I enjoy selling books. I enjoy speaking. I you know um, so it's um, that that in itself does it for me. I, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's energizing. I know I. I help people. I can get it from their comments. Last presentation I did uh, uh, la last week in Nashville, we we had, to, you know, okay, the session's over. You know, we got people. So uh, any questions? They, you know, like forty hands go up. It's like, uh, okay, okay, here we go, and and we're still we're we're past time. No one's leaving. You know, we're we're having a great conversation and uh and so it's that's that's fun and and it's about i'm dealing with people about real problems that they have how to get a motivated workforce and how to do that with that session was on uh the millennials and gen z you know oh yeah yeah how, how do we get how do we get them in the game and well what are you doing now how's that working and i didn't think so and and you might try this you know talk to them you know? <laughs> Dr. Bob, we, we skipped over something. You went from writing books in general to focusing in on, you know, you heard a situation, you said, that's a great idea, I'll write a book about it. Yeah, well, that's amazing that not very many people can do that. 
And now you have a focus area of helping employees and employers develop a better relationship. How did you get from A to Z? Uh, well, I think all my books are out of that cut of the cloth is how can I improve the relationship? How can I help people be more, more productive? How can I help companies be more motivating places to work? So, um, so all my books have that anchor in there that they're all research-based. Um, but I, like I did a book on Ubuntu, which is a South African concept of, of uh, connectedness. I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see you. And and it's just a brilliant concept. And it's in the fabric of the of the culture in South Africa. And I I, I spoke there and I was very impressed. And um I said this is this concept deserves you know broader broader uh, acknowledgement and business can use it u.s business can use it because it's, oh, a, sure. it's a softer more empathetic side of things and and um so um whatever book i've done is uh anchored in in how can we make for a better work environment and more productivity and better for not just the company but better for the employee as well if you have a if you set up a partnership um, we're, you know, you get a contract worker and you get to do what I say, uh, you know, uh, how's that going to work for you? You know, it's, it's, uh, the days of being told what to do are in the kind of past, you know, you got to have a, a conversation. And this is why I was thinking, you know, you'd like to take this on and give them the choice, you know, so, uh, or, or a new, new, new employee and, you know, uh, focus on catching them doing things right. It's easy to find fault. You know what? Were you stupid? You you did that. I already told you how to do. It. You did it wrong. Well, okay. Yeah, they're stupid now. Now where are you going to go with from there? They're going to leave. Where yeah. are going to go? They're going to ghost you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just not going to show up tomorrow, and you're not going to know why. Well, I didn't think they were very good anyway. Okay. Well, self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's uh, you know as opposed to um, I was working with a, a you know manager runs a car parts, you know, store, and, and he had a new, new hire, a 16-year-old, you know, part-time job, and he had him in the back room, you know, straightening up inventory, and after 45 minutes, the kid comes out all, all excited, anime, come here, I want to show you, and he takes him back, look at this, and and the uh, kid's been stacking oil cans for 45 minutes, and, and the man just said, I almost went with my knee-jerk reaction, which would, would have been, what do you expect, a medal? Get out there now for and clean up that spill. These kids today, ah, you know. But he caught yes. himself and said, "He said, Eric, I don't think I've ever seen an oil can so nicely stacked." Oh, oh I can I tell that you're really someone that cares about doing a good job. I want to start to show you how how we take inventory this afternoon. There's gonna be no limit to where you can go in our business. It's like, well, what does the kid do? What can he, what can he help but do? He stands up a little straighter. You you met yes. him at his energy, and you can mold and amplify that energy. And it, it, out of the shoot, he may not be perfect, but you can move in the direction that makes him more valuable to you and to himself. And whether he stays with you or whether he finds a job elsewhere, you can give him skills to have for the rest of his life. Talk, talk in those terms, you know, and all of a yeah. sudden it's just not a job anymore. <laughs> well, it's, and it's more than skills. It's having the um, feel good inside, feel yeah. good for what you've done and and feel like you could tackle anything yeah well, and there's two sides to just yeah. a simple phrase that you can do in the hallway in 10 seconds you know it's got to be timely it's got to be has specifics so any praising has specific feedback and we all need specific feedback 
to be on mark and to stay on mark, and especially younger generation. They can't work in the void. So it has that. And then ideally, you also add an emotional charge. I, I knew you were, you'd be a good hire. I'm so glad you're on my team. Something, you know, from you, from you personally that, that gives it a charge. Like, and, uh, you know, Mark Twain, he, he once said, I can live for two weeks on a good compliment. <laughs> and I think it's even, it's even longer today because there's, there's, we get less of it. We get so little of it. You know, we're, we're moving so fast. We're maybe, maybe working in different locations or from home. Your manager's not, doesn't even see what you're doing, you know. It, we're, it's it's um it's harder to make the connection a good connection on an ongoing basis with with employees and and you got to do probably more of it than you think because a lot of managers you know they got their own work to do and then they only deal with the employee when there's a problem and that's too little too late you got to be proactive you got to be proactive and and catch in what they did right uh, and why it was is right, why it tied into our values or our, our monthly goals or or the teamwork uh, that we're trying to get going um, and the context for why that's so important. And that and that makes the, the, the simple thank you and praise more meaningful, a larger impact um, and something that a person then can carry with them and, and feel a part of them. And, and that builds their pride. Uh, so it actually works. You know, it's uh it ties into my work of being courageous as a leader. You know, I think that uh, many, many leaders today feel that, well, first of all, they don't recognize courage in the workplace. That's number one. And because they don't realize how much it takes for an employee to come out and take a stand, make a recommendation, give a suggestion. Uh, and they just, they ignore it or shoot it down and then then you've got the whole ball start rolling where no one has the confidence to, to come out and help the organization grow. But yes, also- I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, <clears throat> I think also there is this thing that managers have that if I compliment somebody too much, if I recognize what they're <clears throat> doing too much in a positive way, then it's gonna give them the confidence to leave and go and get a better job. And so therefore, let me just keep them in their place kind of thing, you know? Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Or if I if I if they they leave, I, maybe I won't be able to replace them because the budget's tight, something like that. So we got or <clears throat> yeah, and that's to their detriment as well as the employees' detriment. It's it, that's a that's a big hurdle if you have managers are um, are insecure themselves. And um, you know, my my wife's a great manager. She has she has twelve guys in the recent job. She had twelve guys reporting to her, and 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 in in just one one uh, fall a couple of years ago, she had four of them get promoted, and that was she thought, saw that as a victory for her. You know that she helped helped develop them that they could take on other roles, and and she encouraged them the whole way. And she constantly talked to them about what they want to do next, and well, let's go try in that department. I, mean, I know the manager. Let me call them and see if they, you know, and then if it works out, you can stay there. You know, it's like, yeah. That takes a lot. It that does. A lot, a lot of managers wouldn't do that because now I got I got more work to find someone new and I got to train them and uh, I'm going to have more work so. in the meantime. And 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 a, a lot of, uh, like you're talking about the importance of, of courage, you know, to speak up when the norms are against it. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot to keep you in your place. And to and uh, I, I remember um, listening to Robert Reich. He was a, 
what, what role do you have under Clinton? He was, uh, I forget, I forget uh, the Secretary of uh, Education, maybe, I don't know. But he was uh, Robert, or, or, or Treasury, but he, he now he teaches at Berkeley. And I remember him speaking that, that he, he, he wanted and needed critique. Uh, you know, all the time, and and once you know, and, and whenever he'd do something, you know, uh, you know, the people around him, they they would always compliment him, like you know, and and, and uh, okay, but the, how could I be better? And he was, you remember, coming off of a a speech or an interview or something, and being in the elevator and and asking, well, what'd you think? And and the person that that you know was his handler, he said, oh, I thought you were great, great job. And, and a voice in in the elevator, the back said. Uh, you 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 pause too much. <laughs> you, what what what? <laughs> this, this this is a, a sub employee, you know. That, that she said, I, I just felt that that you 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 took too many pauses. That that, that lost your momentum. Something like something like that. Right. He, he said that that woman went on to be one of his closest advisors because she would give him feedback that he needed to get better. And and although all of the the person that first complimented, she worked for that person, and she was all all mad at her, going to fire and stuff, you know. No, you know, she ended up being, uh, you know, so there she she took a shot there, and she gave honest feedback. And um, well, you know, this this I find here in the United States, most people don't know how to give feedback. That's, that's that. Let's start from the get go. Right. Yeah. Or how to um, do appraising. And you and you you mentioned the word compliment. I never use the word compliment. I talk about recognition and praise. Compliment. Oh, that's a nice outfit. I like your glasses, CB. That's really. It's a no, no, no. That's that's recognition is around performance first and foremost. So if you start if you start doing other stuff, it confuses people because now you think you're you're being you're giving a lot of recognition and you're doing you're doing meaningless meaningless flattery. That's not helping the person. It might even you know. So it starts with uh, you got to be directive around performance that matters. It's it's what they did, what you saw, what you heard, what you read in a report, what you got from the client. When you have something positive, you want to grab that. And and when you see something, say something, do something. It says that that you saw it, you noticed. Make a note on on the note you got, or or pass it on to your boss, or whatever it might be. Bring it up at the staff meeting. In fact, I, when I worked with the Bank of America on this topic. They had 210,000 employees, and I convinced them that this is recognition was too important to leave to the the whims of when a manager felt like doing it. And so they they actually instituted a new policy that said whenever you meet with a, a group, whether it's 300 or three people, we're asking you as a policy of the bank to start with some type of recognition. Here's here's the latest numbers from the bank. Here's how our department's doing. Uh, John John just finished a degree. Let's give him a hand, you know, and and then go on to your business or or start with some type of recognition and then pause and say, does anyone else have any recognition they want to call out here in our group hour? And and first time you do that, maybe no one will, but next time, yeah, I've got something. You know, Sally got a call bounce to her. It was my client, and and they've been passed on three or four times, and Sally took the time to actually help him. And and cover for me, Sally. Thank you so much. You know, and uh, you know, have it be a a couple minutes of a forum on on pause because that's gonna lift the whole group. It's gonna make the group a tighter working group. It's gonna make everyone's day a little bit lighter, a little bit more positive. And you got to work that into uh, the daily repertoire, if you will. You know, um, now I know why I like Bank of America. Right? <laughs> it's, of course, it's my bank, but. 
um, I interviewed uh, Sandra, who was in the um, DEI space there. And um, their approach to employees is very different than most organizations. And now I know their secret sauce, they bring in people like you. <laughs> so, well, I'm, one I'm of the sure things, other people help. Well, one of the things that they do is when an employee reaches a certain level and there is no place for them to go in the organization, they let that person go outside and work for a different company while still being on their payroll. Um, I think they're still on their payroll, um, but they go in and they bring in their expertise to other organizations that are struggling, like in the non-for-profit space. Yeah. And that is just a brilliant idea on all parties all around. Yes, but I, I think there's one one uh, lar one national charity that helps set that up and encourages that. So they basically the money they keep paying their salary, but that that becomes a donation. Yeah, I mean that takes a lot of courage for an organization to do that. They don't know if they're going to lose their star employee. They just you know um, they don't know how they. If you love it. them, set them free. You know, so <laughs> what you know. That's the that it gets back to the manager again. So the manager is protective, and I'm gonna you gotta stay here. You gotta keep working for me, and no, you can't interview. And you're gonna they're gonna stifle. You're gonna stifle them, and then they're gonna have to leave. So it's it's rather build them up and help them, and then then uh, help them on their way. You know, and just just have the it's gonna reflect on you in a positive way. Uh, it may be more work in finding the next person, but. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll come back and and join you again after they've been away for a year or two, and that happens. Um, <clears throat> so I know I know one one job my my wife uh, left. They it's kind of cool. They did a they did a whole um, uh, they did a plaque of all the, the different business uh, roles she all the business cards she had in in that company. It's about about five or six, and then they added other ones like you know, team oh supporter. God. And then, then the last one they left blank for when she returns and they gave her this when she left. It was, it was like a boomerang award. And then I know a company that uses the boomerang. They give you, when you leave, they put your, your the date you're leaving on, on one edge and they save the other one for when you return. And, and oh, they give that you when you leave. Great idea. <laughs> and then I, so it's like, it's, you can't, uh, if you're trying to control people, the days of control are, you know, long gone it's it's a more of a collaborative work workplace now and and uh, you got to involve people in decision making 89 percent want that you've got to have two-way communication 95 percent want that they if you make them if they make a mistake they, they want you to still support them maybe turn it into a learning opportunity 92 percent of employees want that so it's all it's all the the, the best motivators are all things that don't cost any money they just yeah. Is uh, a little bit of behavior, a little bit of, of thoughtfulness, and and uh, actually doing it. You know, you can't. You know, I, one of the things I've run into is that because the concepts I talk about, you know, sound like, feel like common sense. They go, "Well, I can do that." They go, "Yeah, I know you could do that. I'm not here to. I'll, I'll talk to a group. I know you all can do this. I'm not here to question if you could do it or not. I'm, I'm questioning that. Will you do it? And what's your evidence that you're doing it? You know, if your people were here, would they say you're doing it? <laughs> because a lot of times. You think they will, but they don't because they, you're talking about Fred. Fred never does this stuff, you know. 
<laughs> when he started the job eight years ago, he brought in donuts once. That's about always. <laughs> but I'm going to touch you that is your next book is about Steve Jobs. Now, I thought the world of Steve Jobs as a businessman, what he did for Apple was beyond reproach. My question now is, he had a reputation for not being the best employer in terms of how he treated his employees. How, how is it that you're writing about him when he seems to be the antichrist to what you're preaching? Well, he's gotten a bad rap and a couple of movies about him, uh, his biography. Uh, I, I'm working with people that uh, maybe were closer to him that that said, I mean, even even um, uh, Mark Benikoff, uh, head of sales, self, Salesforce, who was an intern for Jobs, and and he, he said, no one gets it right. He was very spiritual, actually. You know, he spent seven months in India and he and he came back with a with a very different view of of life from that, and the, and the importance of of um, intuition over intellect. By the way, uh, and so he was he was very driven, and that's maybe gave him some of the rough edge that that people saw because he had a he was he had a very clear vision. He wanted to make a dent in the world and very clear wanted to move this direction. And if there was somebody that was on the team and kept bucking, bucking the idea that disagreed with it eventually he'd say you out <laughs> you know? and 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 he would do that in meetings that sounds very cold and heartless but you know and then maybe the person had been with him for nine years or something but when he saw that you didn't see or agree with the vision that he was driving there's no room for you on the team anymore you know so that that feels that, that isn't that isn't that contrary to what you are doing and talking about? I mean, you allow room for people to be heard. And it yes, sounds yes, like yes. Um, yes, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm not condoning that. Maybe there's a better way he could have handled it, you know, but he had, he had that. And I've talked to Apple employees that I, I talked to a guy that he said, I, I had this project and, you know, and, and it was a Steve, I had to give Steve Jobs an update on it. I went in. And he spent the entire meeting just shredding everything I had done. And, and I left it all kind of beaten down, but I was motivated to come back harder and get it right. And, and when Steve Jobs died, he left the company. He said it wasn't, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the, the passion-driven place to be uh, that, that was before, you know, to be in, in, the, in the light of, of greatness and, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't inspiring to him anymore. So that that kind of that tough edge, yeah, I find I find that you know whether it's uh, some of the the people that can most can be most motivational are the the people that uh, I can remember professors that were really hard hard to get an A with and a lot of work and extra work and and man, but if you're able to get it. <laughs> I my my daughter, the only B she got at Cornell was in organic chemistry. And she just felt prouder of that than anything because it was such a damn hard class. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's sometimes if you have someone that's, that's really challenging you, uh, that that can be more motivating than someone's just, oh, well, okay, you tried your best, uh, so it goes. You know? <laughs> that's true. That's true. That sort of tough love uh, 
Yeah, but but a power in in the light of a powerful visionary and and Steve Jobs, if anything, he's he had he is a visionary and uh, and executed on that vision as best he could. So you know, and there's there's funny stories too. Like he he uh, he had um, you know the first prototype of the of the iPhone, you know, and he goes that you know he had a team working on it for eighteen months. He goes, no no no, this is way too big. It wasn't this one. This, this is, <laughs> way too big and he was in a room that had an aquarium and he dropped it in the aquarium look at all the air coming out there's a lot you could squeeze that down a lot more and he walked out of the room and and they were like that was their only prototype <laughs> for 18 months <laughs> but you know what they started over and they they made it smaller and uh you know if he had said well you tried your best what can you ask you know then we probably wouldn't have the iphone now you know he was driven he was driven uh you know the the uh the macbook that could fit into a envelope you know you take it on stage you know, it's sort of like yeah it's it's uh, he had a vision you know and it's to make make the things he made he he revolutionized seven different industries seven different industries <laughs> well, he was a he was adopted you know what it's sort of uh don't please don't what was handed him in his life you know <laughs> come on you know the the guy that started dominoes he he was an orphan mm-hmm. nobody handed him anything you know <laughs> so, like, so who, who are you waiting for for someone to hand you something make yes. it happen right. you know it's like what are you waiting for yeah. and that's what that's what i love about the steve jobs so i was so inspired by him in his uh in his 2005 uh commencement speech at stanford one of the one of the things he said you're uh, you, you, we're all naked. You kind of enter the world naked. You leave naked. What? Why are you scared? <laughs> Go for it. You know, <laughs> make something of your life. You know, this is it's now. It's now or never. You know, and and uh, so I think it's uh, very inspiring. And I, I've talked to many people that have been personally inspired by him, from him. If, even in in the in the um, MG100 group, I, I remember one day. I remember. I, I had like three different people that uh, that said, you know, that's why I'm doing what I do. Steve Jobs, you know, it's like, wow.